eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. Speaking of guys deciding different destinations, uh, Kevin Love. We talked about this briefly on the last pod, about the chances it could happen. Um, and then the Sixers were reportedly interested. So I guess just kind of take me through what, if you know anything, like if you've heard anything, how realistic it was, was this just, like with the Eagles, Howie Roseman calls every single free agent. So whenever there's an agent-driven thing, like there's interest from, XYZ, the Eagles are always there because they check in on every single person, right? How real do you think the interest was in Kevin Love? Do you think they really would have signed him if he would have picked here? And just what are your thoughts on uh, that whole thing? Oh, they definitely would have signed him if they could have sold him on the the opportunity. I think the problem is that there's a genuine chance he might start for Miami. So Mm -hmm. one, they were not going to be able to offer him a similar role. Two, I don't know if... Miami actually gave him more money, but they had more money available to sign him with. I believe they had a portion of their mid-level exception they could use to sign him. So, you know, that's a whole another angle. There's also the living in South Beach versus South Philadelphia thing, which is, again, as somebody who lives in South Philadelphia and has been to South Beach several times for work, I, I hate to say it, but not really comparable, especially if you're yeah. someone who's making Kevin Love money. Um, and again, I also no taxes think, in Florida. Like he kept a large portion of his money by going there. Yeah. <clears throat> the other thing for me is that I, and I think I brought this up end of last week, you and I talked about it. I don't really see what the fit is for him here either. I think they would have done it anyway, just because he's a, a playoff caliber player, a veteran mm-hmm. with all kinds of finals experience and all that, but he's not better than George Niang right now. And so then it becomes, you know, how do you get him into the playoff rotation? And it's really, if George Niang is hurt, he plays, mm-hmm. or if George Niang's not making shots, he plays. And maybe that's more valuable to you than Dwayne Dedman. Like if you want to make the case that Dedman is, not useful and that they just cut him after signing him and bring in love. I could sort of see that argument, but then you get left in a position where if Paul Reed or Trez or PJ Tucker are drawing dead against, you know, a big bodied center in the playoffs, I think specifically who you need to look at 
is Cleveland like that it or not Cleveland uh Milwaukee because mm-hmm. Brooke Lopez is you know a huge center right. it's going to be anchoring a lot of bench units what have you Cleveland is another example although I think Paul Reed has done okay against them and I think it's pretty unlikely the Sixers end up playing them in the playoffs but you might need Deadman for that sort of matchup to to play against Brooke Lopez and Giannis on, on bench units whereas like you could be in that same series and Kevin Love just might not get on the floor right uh, there were some people who were thinking you know maybe you play him at center i do think kevin love is a much much better rebounder than basically anybody on the bench unit but mm-hmm. certainly than george niang if you wanted to try to go small and play love at center i just think you would get destroyed on defense i think you see it with it's part of the reason that trez has not been able to to play he's a bad defender base level but teams are getting penetration so easily against them that you're putting Trez in a position to fail anytime he's on the floor because he's just not out there with good enough defenders to to justify you know playing the offense guy and, and dealing with all his limitations. So Kevin Love would be probably a more extreme version of that because he can't jump, can't protect the rim. At least Trez mm-hmm. can make like a an effort or energy block yeah, every athletic. once in a while. Yeah. I mean, he's somewhat, still, again, somewhat, but yeah, he's undersized and is, you know, he has all kinds of problems with awareness and being in mm-hmm. the right spot. But I, I just think you're running into a similar version of, of that problem on defense. Now, again, Kevin Love can shoot and rebound and you spread the floor out. You let James Harden, Tyrese Maxey go one-on-one against the defense that can't put a guy at the rim. I think there is some power to that, but I think you could probably get there without signing love and just playing somebody like PJ at the I five. I would say playing PJ at the five. So my question to the next one is, because we talked about it, you made it sound like when we, when we discussed it, that it might be difficult because of the money. And like, so my question is, how, if they were going to do it, how do you think they would have made the roster? Because they, they, they're they full, like they don't have a roster space, right? Like their roster is completely booked up. So- how would they have like who do you think would have been cut? Because Kevin Love, to your point, he they clearly must have offered him some type of role. I don't think their role was come in here and be the 15th man. So what do you think their plan was had he picked them? I don't I wish I knew. I'll probably have a better idea after I go to practice yeah. tomorrow and you know talk with some people about it. I do think it was gonna probably come down to Dwayne Deadman or Paul Reed getting cut. Because <laughs> trying to every other, reaction of Paul Reed getting if cut. Paul Reed got cut for Kevin Love, I don't think it would have gone over <laughs> well. Put it that way, and then then you're in a position where Deadman or Trez or Kevin Love at center is a thing every night. Like you don't yeah. have the the defense first type option there. Um, I mean, if you could sell Trez on taking a buyout and waiving his player option for next year, I don't know why he would. Maybe you cut him and he just. You go to him and say, look, the writing's on the wall. You're not going to play here. And maybe he wants to try to latch on somewhere else before the end of the year. Um, But yeah, it would have been interesting because, again, George Niang, not only is he better right now, I don't think people realize this. He has shot better than Kevin Love every year the last five years. Wow. Just straight up been a better shooter than Yang for, or than Love for half a decade. Now, again, not as good of a rebounder. Doesn't have the playoff pedigree, all that. But Niang is a really important offensive piece off the bench for them that fits really well alongside 
both James and Joel. And I think people probably take him for granted. I think his free agency this summer is like a, a sneaky, important storyline for the team moving forward to see one, if they can keep him and two, how much they end up having to, to pay him to keep him here. Cause he's a 40 plus percent shooter every single year, like just yeah. a, a really, really good shooter. And you and I both know that commands a lot of money in today's NBA. So I guess they would have tried to play small because I don't, I don't think you're taking Niang out of the rotation. It would have been, it might've been a situation where you say, Kevin, you might be a DNP some nights and might be a situational guy. And I think that's a big reason why he took his talents to South beach. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. Now I would have done it. I hear your concerns and I think he is a duplicate of Niang in some ways. And I think you're right. Maybe a, a lesser version, but I just rather have as many shooters on the team as I can just because Which is fair. I get it. Someone goes cold or someone gets hurt. Like, so I would have done it, but I guess the last question I have for you uh, before we kind of wrap this up and it's a vague question, but more team related, just on a larger scale. I'm curious, entering the second half of the season, like when you're just doing whatever, doing your laundry, like what do you think about with the Sixers? Like what's like one of your biggest questions? Maybe this is something we can tease for next pod, but I'm just curious. Like I know with me, I think a lot about the Eagles all the time and I think about the Sixers too, but I always like, but what are you thinking about when you think about the Sixers right now? Like what's your biggest concern? Like just what's interesting to you about the team? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Are they going to defend when it matters? It's basically because, look, if you have James Harden at this level and Joel Embiid at this level, you're going to score. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have no, I mean, I have concerns in the sense that. Joel will probably draw fewer fouls and James has been a little reliant on outside shooting, things like that. Like there are some offensive questions to answer, but by and large, when James has been in the lineup and they've been healthy, they've been a great offensive team. Period. I think there are a lot bigger concerns about their play to play consistency. Are they a team that has the, you know, the, the connectedness that you need, to be an awesome defense in the playoffs. Is somebody like James Harden going to be dialed in the way he needs to? Will Tyrese Maxey get exploited for being too small and you know all the defensive issues that he has? When you play somebody like George Niang, how is he holding up? Is he going to get hunted and you know played off the floor? There are a lot of different concerns. And, and then the rebounding problem, even when they play good defense, a lot of times the rebounding is just not good enough. And I, I've brought this up before, but I don't think all of this is just a, we flipped the switch and we're good at all of this now. Like there are fundamental problems with some of these guys. Like I don't think for, I think Joel is a good rebounder. I don't think he's as good as he needs to be. I think Tobias is a straight up bad rebounder is a big culprit on a lot of these plays. And he's going to be in basically every crunch time lineup is going to be one of their heavy minute guys. I there are a lot of problems on the defensive end that they have to sort out. I do think the encouraging thing is that when they have been super engaged, 
like the first half of that Cleveland game before the break, they played awesome on both ends of the floor and they beat up a Cleveland team that is well for a half anyway, which is yeah. kind of the problem with them. But they beat up a Cleveland team that's been very good that I think is going to scare at least somebody in the playoffs. I think if they end up playing, you know, Miami and then maybe Boston in round two, I, I think Cleveland could absolutely make life difficult for a team like the Celtics. But all that being said, I just don't know that the Sixers can play 48 minutes of defense. That they, mm-hmm. they have not shown that they can do 48 minutes of basically anything. So that is sort of the overarching question. And then you you tie it into what is Doc going to do in the playoffs? I think that's another big thing because you know, I get all the concerns with Joel and James. There is a level of you know maybe over-focus on where they've gotten eliminated. I think even in some series where James lost and people have given him crap for it, he's had great numbers or like yeah. – the Toronto series that was the best team the Sixers have had, their best chance to win a title. That comes down to a, a freak bounce or a series of bounces at the end of a yeah. game seven against they lost a, a guy. The champion. Yeah, they lost to the champions of the league, all that. And Joel's plus minus was absolutely absurd. When Joel's been healthy, he's been an impactful playoff level mm-hmm. guy. Doc has had – Doc is the only one of those guys that's got a title. He's had a lot of deep playoff runs, but he has had so much talent underneath him. And to have all these playoff failures that he's had, I understand the mistrust there. And so I want to see, like, I do think he's been more proactive with rotations. He's been more aggressive with end of quarter substitutions and, and little things that, you know, maybe in the past in the regular season, he's on autopilot and he's not thinking about it. If he thinks he's coaching for his job this year, maybe that's part of it. I don't think he's under that level of pressure right now. He certainly will be in the playoffs. Yeah. But I want to see that translate to the games that matter, right? There's a there's an idea that somebody like Trez is out of the rotation, not because he necessarily wants him to be, but because he feels like it's his obligation at this point to play Paul Reed. I want to see Doc make the right decisions when it counts, the same way I want to see Joel rise to the occasion and hit big shots when it counts. Like again, circling back to what we started the pod with. I know that yeah, I care about the regular season. I care about all these games, but people determine your legacy based on what happens in the playoffs. Like that, that's what matters to people. I'd said it, I tweeted this yesterday. Wilt Chamberlain scored 17,000 more points than Bill Russell and only played 82 more games than him. And yeah. people treat them as either comparable or in many cases, people say Russell was the greater player because his teams won. Like that mm-hmm. team sports are about winning. It's not like this isn't tennis. It's not, you know, you won X amount of singles titles and whatever. Like it's all about your personal accomplishments. It's about what you can do as a team when it matters. So yeah. as much as we can say, you know, Joel's an MVP caliber guy. James is a top 75 all-time guy. Doc has thousand whatever wins, whatever it is. If they can't get it done in the playoffs, everything else will not well, matter. And that's that's just how it goes. Yeah. And I think like to piggyback off that, one thing I think a lot about with this team in my free time, I'm just thinking about the Sixers is 
Like, do they have it in them to be great when it matters? Like when you talk about the defense, I, I think the, the Cleveland game is so perfect because we saw how good they can be. For me, the Sixers thing is not a lack of talent. Like you can argue Boston and Milwaukee. Maybe I agree. Have more, like maybe Boston and Milwaukee have more talent, but as much as I love to like, you know, debate Tatum versus Embiid. I mean, they're basically the same player. Giannis Embiid, same player. Like they're, they're that level of greatness, right? The Sixers have greatness on their roster. It's just a matter of whether or not in the big moments, will they do it? And I think that's one of the most frustrating things about this team is I don't look at them and go, well, they don't have like this key piece that you need to win. They have mostly all the pieces you need to win. You can debate. They would probably be a little more athletic ideally, but ultimately they have great defensive players like and Embiid pretty much, but they have a great defensive player. They have great offensive players. They have a coach that's won a title, all those things. I think what you started with is so perfect and your way of going about it is defense. But it's the same thing where it's like in the big moments, are they really going to rise to the occasion or am I going to watch this team shrink again? And I think that's the biggest question I think about. Like, it, yes, on defense, will they try? But it's really just the question of, is this team going to fold when it matters? And I think we'll start to get the answer to that in the schedule that they have coming up. And it sucks to have to wait so long to know. But yeah, I think that's my biggest just like random running thought about this team is, are they going to, are they going to step up? And I just, it's frustrating not to know the answer to that. I mean, look, man, I think people doubt mental toughness at their own peril. I, I think, yeah. look at the Sixers' recent history of draft picks, for example. Ben Simmons, all the talent in the world. Guy had the the basketball world in the palm of his hand. If he puts in you know, more work, if he's more resilient as a player, as a person, we could be talking about him as an MVP caliber guy. Those, mm -hmm. those are the expectations. He came into the league and made multiple all-star teams, made an all-NBA team, made all-defense teams. Guy looks like a complete shell of himself because he mentally is not equipped to be that type of guy, like has turned right. into a, a very different player. Markel Fultz, unbelievable college player and you know, dealt with some real mental shortcomings in the – or not, I shouldn't say mental shortcomings – with mental health issues, frankly, on the floor where he turned into a totally different player. He's dealing with mm -hmm. physical injuries as well. But like, look, resilience is a thing that you only know it when you see it. I think one thing you could say is that Tyrese Maxey is somebody that I'm confident in as a, a, a mentally it. tough yeah. player. But like the mental side of the game is so, so, so important. And I, I think... Mm -hmm. It gets discounted in prospects. It's it's often the difference between there are guys who are comparable in talent in a, a different draft class. And one guy is just a harder worker who cares more, who dedicates himself more. And that's the difference. It's not that he has more inherent talent than the other guy, but he stretches his talent out further. So things when the talent is the talent gap is much smaller in the playoffs. And so you need your leaders, especially, and in this case, that's Joel Embiid and James Harden, to be able to carry you through those tough stretches when George Niang goes 0 for 6 during right, the Right, or the backup when, center plays poorly. Like, it shouldn't when, come... When Paul Reed's bad, like, and that's the thing. I'm glad you brought up backup center. Everybody in this town, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of fans of the Sixers are obsessed with this idea of the backup center and they... They get played off the court when Joel's off the floor. Well, yeah, they're not going to be as good when your max player is a center and you're bringing yeah. in Paul Reed and Wash Montrez Harrell or Greg Monroe or whoever whoever it is. 
the job is on the Jimmy Butlers, the Ben Simmons, and now the James Harden to take that guy and win minutes with them. And, and maybe mm-hmm. it's not winning minutes with them. It's at least playing them to a standstill and you're buying time for your best player to come back. And on the other side of that, it's also up to Joel in the minutes where he's up against the backup center to win those minutes by even a lot. more than he is. Like that was a, a big reason that I think he lost MVP last season. That game against Denver, I brought it up on the podcast, I think a few weeks ago. Yeah. He beat Jokic straight up, was better than Jokic when they were on the floor together. Bones Highland and DeMarcus Cousins swung that game last year down the stretch. Denver wins, and that's a decisive blow in the MVP race. And that's partially because Joel was physically and mentally not locked in when the other star player is off the floor. And so, so much of this just comes down to, are you engaged and in the game for the entire 48 minutes? Because the best of the best teams, the teams like Boston, the teams like Milwaukee, they have proven that they can do that in the playoffs. They, I mean, Boston last year on the way to the finals made Kevin Durant look like a college player for most of their (laughs) first round series. So they have to prove it. There's a lot to prove. I'm excited to see this end of the season stretch and then the start of the playoffs, but everything's there to play for. We're going to see what they're made of.